0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The basis of our meditation this morning comes from the first seven verses of Psalm 78. A maskiel of Asaph. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, Mo Berg was known as the brainiest guy in baseball back in the 20s and 30s. He had a degree from Princeton University and Columbia Law. He spoke multiple languages. He ended up going on a quiz show back then, a radio quiz show called Information Please, where he handled questions about the origins of Greek and Latin words on the spot. He ended up spying for the United States during World War II, and it's rumored that he would read 10 different newspapers every single day. Mo Berg was highly intelligent and highly educated, but when it came to baseball, he was actually kind of an average player. I think he batted about 233 for his whole career, uh, maybe a cut above average, definitely not Hall of Fame, but not bottom of the barrel either. In fact, one of his teammates apparently once said to him, Mo, I don't care how many college degrees you have, they haven't learned you to hit a curveball any better than me. Feels like Mo Berg is a perfect example of how some knowledge is more valuable than other knowledge, depending on your situation in life. You know that. It's good to be educated in general, but if you have a a certain type of knowledge that you need for your job or for your career, you better know that rather than random trivia facts about Madagascar or something like that. It depends on the situation, but there's certainly almost always some knowledge that is more important than other knowledge. And the same thing is true when you talk about spiritual knowledge, Christian knowledge. It's great to be educated for this life, but to be educated in Christ is invaluable because it's not just about this life, but it's about the life to come. And when we talk about Christian education, we inevitably talk about how we are to teach these truths of God's word to the next generation, to the children who maybe don't know all of them yet or haven't even started learning about these, these tidbits of Christian knowledge that are so important, not just for now, but forever. I don't think there's anyone here that would argue with the fact that Christian education needs to be a priority for us. And maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't have kids myself or my kids are grown and out of the house. They're not really my responsibility anymore. And while that's true, it's also the responsibility of us as a family of believers here at Abide in Grace to educate our collective church children with these truths we have in God's word. These truths that mean so much, not just today, not just tomorrow, but into eternity. Christian education, though, is, is, this isn't a new thing. It's not a newfangled 21st century idea. The fact that we need to teach our children the truths of God's word has been known to the Christian people, to believers of all time, including this author of Psalm 78, a man by the name of Asaph. He was actually one of, the, of King David's leading worshipers or worship leaders in the tabernacle, Which also meant he was one of the leading educators in Israel as well. Because Israel was more of an oral culture. They didn't have all of these things written down in scrolls. They weren't widely distributed to the people. So the only way people learned about the truths of God's word was through the lyrics and words of psalms. Exactly like Psalm 78. And Asaph did not mean for this psalm in particular to be used as just pre-service or just post-service. This was almost a, a musical sermon. In those days. That's why he says, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. This is important stuff. It's almost like Asaph is encouraging the Israelites standing before him to to lean in a little bit. To perk up, to incline their ear, to make sure they're picking up every single word of what he's about to say. And that's what Asaph wants for us this morning as well. To not simply let this go in one ear and out the other, but to hear and to listen to what he's trying to teach us. So what is Asaph trying to teach us in this psalm then? Well, he's teaching us a lesson from his own people, actually. A lesson from the history of God's people. This is actually a fairly long psalm. We only are looking at the first seven verses, but it's upwards of 70 verses. And Asaph takes those 70 verses to explore the history of God's people from the time they were slaves in Egypt all the way up to the present day in the reign of King David, And the lesson that he wants his hearers to take from all of these chapters of Israel's history, don't be like your forefathers. Don't forget the Lord. It's a pretty long psalm, but there's just a couple of verses that really sum it up nicely. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again, but then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant, yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. That's the lesson that Asaph was teaching those people of his day. Don't forget the Lord. Look at what happened to your ancestors as they journeyed from Egypt to the promised land. The only way that Asaph's hearers were going to learn about this lesson was by listening to him. And really, that's not all that different from us today. Granted, we have a, a much larger amount of books in our world. It's not an oral culture that we live in so much anymore. And yet, how many four year olds do you see walk up and take a Bible off the shelf and start reading it? I'm sure that many of you out there heard about the truths of God's Word, not from the Bible itself at first, but from your parents or grandparents, or pastors, or teachers. Somebody told you just as Asaph told his people. And that's really the way that our children learn about these truths. They hear it from us before they read it in the Bible. And so this lesson is not just for the people of Asaph's day, but for our day. We are the ones who are to tell the next generation. But what is it exactly that we're supposed to tell them? Well, Asaph is actually pretty straightforward here. He says, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. The wonders of God, the deeds of our Lord, that's a huge chunk of the curriculum when it comes to Christian education. And thankfully, those things are not in short supply. Even in just this one psalm, you can learn about God parting the Red Sea You learn about the the pillar of cloud and fire that leads his people through the wilderness. You learn about countless gallons of water coming from a rock in the middle of the desert. Manna covering around like dew every morning for 40 years. Quail blotting out the sun in the evening for more food. You hear about the 10 plagues that God visits on Egypt and on Pharaoh and how he drove the Canaanites out of that promised land so his people could settle in peace. And that's just one single psalm. Now, you and I know that maybe God doesn't work it quite so much in outward ways, in visually fantastic ways as he did among his Old Testament people. But we know that he still works. He still works through his word, changing hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, hearts that trust him, that love him, that believe in him. And that is no less of a miracle than an entire ocean spreading its way for two million people to walk through on dry ground. These are the works and the words that are still praiseworthy of us today and still worthy to tell, of us to tell our children. That's not the only thing that Asaph says we should be teaching the next generation, though. He also says this. He, God, decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So along with his works, God also charges us as Christian adults to also teach the children his words, his statutes, his law, his, his commands. And, and at first, maybe that's not something you want to you do. It's easy for us to kind of pull back from that. We're a, a gospel-centered church, gospel-centered people. We want the gospel to be the one thing someone takes away from that, from Sunday morning worship or from a conversation. We know that the law is not how we get to heaven. God says the law, you, it can't make you righteous, but rather it shows you how sinful you are. And yet the law also serves a very important purpose in the Christian's life. It serves not just as a mirror to show you how much you need a savior, but it serves as a guide, a framework of how we live God-pleasing lives and make God-pleasing decisions. So we shouldn't shy away from teaching our children the laws and the statutes, the decrees of our God. We should teach them that what they are and, and how to obey them, but also why they should be obeying God's law. Not out of fear of of God's wrath being stirred up against them, as Asaph says, but rather out of thankfulness and love for all of those works he's done for his people in the past and his people in the present. That's it. It's really just a two-part curriculum that Asaph is describing here. Teach the next generation the works and the word of the Lord. And those two things really are forever intertwined as well. We hear about these wonderful praiseworthy deeds of God in his word. And it's those praiseworthy deeds of God motivated by his great love for us that encourage us and empower us to keep those statutes and those laws in his word. But that's it. That's what we tell the next generation. The works and the word of our God. Asaph's pretty clear in that, but he also doesn't stop there. He doesn't just tell us what we should be teaching, but he tells us why. Why we should be teaching these things. He says, he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them. Even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. With that one sentence, Asaph lays out this long range vision for the church so that the gospel would be passed down from generation to generation. So when you tell your children these truths in God's word, recognize that, yes, it's for their benefit, but it's also for the benefit of their children and their children after that. And for countless generations, you are continuing this chain of the gospel one link at a time as the generations go. There's an urgency here, though, as well, along with the encouragement to continue this chain. There's an urgency because all it takes is one generation to start to lose those truths of God's word. One weak link in that chain and the entire thing can be broken off. One fumbled handoff and the relay is done. The baton is lost and so is the race. So there's an urgency in how we tell our children that we make sure that these truths are embedded deeply in their hearts so that they in turn can benefit the next generation after them. But if benefiting countless generations isn't quite enough to motivate us, Asaph then draws his eyes down from this long-range vision and instead focuses on the here and the now. And he lays out these three blessings that we can expect from God when we teach his word to our children. He says, teach this to your kids that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. That they would put their trust in God. God, does a parent want anything besides that for their kids? You could easily answer yes. I mean, most parents out there want their kids to to do well in school, to marry someone and have a beautiful family, to maybe have a a steady job or, or go pro in athletics. They want lots of things for their kids, but all of that, fame, notoriety, money, even happiness, it doesn't mean anything without that foundational trust in God through the ups and the downs that will inevitably come into your kids' lives. So we teach them these words so that they would put their trust in God so that no matter what happens in this life, they know exactly how this story ends. That's, that's one blessing we can expect from God as we teach these truths to our children. The next is this, that they would not forget his deeds. Forgetfulness was the Achilles' heel of the Israelites. Even though they saw so many of those amazing awe-inspiring works of God with their own eyes, they still forgot. Even though they saw the love that motivated God to perform all those acts on their behalf, they still forgot. And they forgot to pass it along to their children. And, and once they forgot, that's when they started to stray again and again and again. But we shouldn't be thinking that we're any less prone to forgetfulness or distraction or negligence of God's word than they were. We just as easily let things crowd out God's word from our lives. We just as easily let barriers of communication get in the way between us and our children. To combat that forgetfulness, that distraction, that negligence, we need to be connected to God's word all the more. Whether it's in your own personal devotion or here at church, we need to be in the word so that we don't forget those deeds that God has performed, not just for his Old Testament people, but for us today. That's the second blessing that we can expect, that God would boost our children's memories of the things he's done for them as we continue to keep them in the word as well. And the third thing is this, that they would keep his commands. We want our children to keep God's commands, and not just because maybe that means they'll keep our commands a little bit better at home, We want them to keep his commands because we know exactly what those commands are and what they do. That they're not a a stick or a club to beat kids over the head with, but instead they're that framework of Christian life. Something to base decisions on so that they're God-pleasing. We want our kids to keep these commands, absolutely, but we also want them to keep them for the right reasons. We and our children, we don't want to keep God's commands simply because we're scared That if we don't, something terrible may happen. That God's wrath will get brought down upon us in some way, shape, or form. We don't want to keep God's commands as some sort of insurance policy just in case you know Jesus' death didn't cover every sin. We're covered a little bit more ourselves. No, we want to keep God's commands ourselves and teach our children to keep those commands simply out of the love and thankfulness we have for what God's done for us. For the daily blessings he sends us and for the Savior, he sent to the cross for us. Some parts of God's word can be a little bit confusing the first time through. can be a little murky, hard to understand. This is not one of those places. Asaph is about as straightforward as you can be here. He lays out exactly what we are to teach our children. And then he even gives us reasons Why? It's not Asaph's fault that this doesn't happen. There's a a disconnect between what we are called to do as Christian adults and what we actually do. I don't think that there's anyone in this church today who would would do what Asaph says and, and hide these things from their children. That's not something that we want to do. But the temptation to do just that is still very much present in all of our lives. It's subtle, it's smooth, it's just... Under the surface, it's very difficult to detect, but it's still there. Maybe it's the busyness of everyday life that gets the better of you. Now that school's starting up again, or that youth sports are only getting busier and busier as the years go on. Or maybe it's you were just on vacation and out of your your usual routine, but the busyness of life is an easy distraction and an easy temptation to let God's word fall to the back burner. Maybe it's the, the endless entertainment options that have caught your eye and they slowly pull you away from what you know is important but there's something that's just a little more entertaining. Maybe you simply don't even know where to start. It's a pretty big book that God gives us to teach. There's a lot of things in there. All of them are important. We want our kids to know all of them but where, where do you start? How do you do this? How do you teach? Those are tough questions. But no matter what temptation or distraction Gets the better of you, when you recognize that conflict in your life between what God calls us to do as his people and what we're actually doing, recognize first for yourself what the solution is to that conflict. Recognize God's greatest and most praiseworthy deed of all, that he sent his son to take our sins, all of our sins, even those sins of forgetfulness or distraction or negligence, and Jesus took those to the cross Let that message of God's word work in your heart first. Let his law pound you into the ground for the sinner that you are, but then let his love and his grace lift you up again and wipe those sins cleanly off your record. When we are in the word as Christian adults, then we can start to truly teach those truths to our children. When we have experienced God's law and God's gospel in our own hearts, then we can truly teach what God's law and God's gospel is to those children. And it's God's law and God's gospel that truly free us from slavery, not just in Egypt, but slavery from sin and from fear and from death. It's God's gospel that gets us through the wilderness of this life and into the true promised land of heaven. It's God's law and gospel, his word and his works, that change not just our lives here on earth, but our eternities. And that's the opportunity God gives us to change the eternities of our children. It's not going to happen in your local school district. It's not even going to happen through your own example of Christian living. It only happens through the word. May God bless you as you take the truth in God's word into a new year of formal Christian education here at Abiding Grace. And may he bless you personally in your own lives and families as you continue to tell the next generation those praiseworthy deeds and loving word of our God. Amen. Please stand. We join in confessing our Christian faith with the words of the Nicene Creed on page 11 in your worship folder. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and